no, that wasn't the wolfhounds in the courtyard uh, or the green, the quad. That was just me because it's Halloween and I'm happy. Halloween is my favorite holiday of the year. I am your intrepid Professor Hamby here of Miskatonic University Literature Department doing graphical literature and society and history, a.k.a. the comics course. And as always with me is my even more intrepid T.A. Rowan who is here so that she doesn't have to pay for her full tuition by herself. Hello. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. Uh, normal updates. Uh, I, I've been fussed at by Dr. Feckett, who now that he is, you know, for, fully in his divorce proceedings and has scheduled a new marriage for one day after the divorce is finalized, the man moves fast, let me tell you, um, is back on chewing me out for what I don't do, not like I didn't cover his classes for weeks, and reminded me, one, I'm supposed to be providing people with social contact information. Uh, and so you can get a hold of me on Twitter at Rogan dot, or sorry, Rogan Hamby, no dot in there, just Rogan Hamby, R-O-G-A-N-H-A-M-B-Y, at Twitter. Um, now, apparently there's something that goes on with the gateway sometimes, and it goes through into another dimension to another Rogan Hamby who's a librarian or something. So if you see some weird responses, you know, there you go. But if you post to the account, I'll see them and all that. Uh, also, Dr. Feckett wanted me to cut back a little bit on any discussions about body parts swelling oddly. Um, fortunately, I think all of my body parts that swell, swell in formal, in fairly normal ways for my medical condition. So I think we're free to continue discussing that as it happens. Um, also, an update on the Miskatonic Manicores. Some people have asked me about them. They're doing well in the Overwatch rankings. Their team captain just hit silver rank. So I guess that's good, right? <laughs> yeah. You're laughing. Is that not good? Uh, nothing. Okay. Well... <laughs> If I knew more about Overwatch, I might have commentary there. And you can always, if you're not sure how to get a hold of the podcast, you can grab the episodes directly at comicscourse.captivate.fm. Uh, we are on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and all those things out there. Um, and if you use a podcasting service that we're not on, let me know and I'll try to get us on there for your convenience. Okay, tons of topics we could have gone over on this glorious All Hallows Eve uh, but what I decided to do was hit some of the comics that have been released in the last few weeks for Halloween, and we can discuss some of the tropes in them, some of the history of those horror elements in comics, what works about them and what doesn't. And I'm going to hold some other topics that I thought of, such as discussing the, the brilliance of horror and manga, uh, one particular creator I love for another time. So we're going to jump in to one from Image Comics called Nita Hawes' Nightmare Blog. Nita Hawes is not the name of the creator here. Uh, the credited creators on the cover are Rodney Barnes, Jason Sean Alexander, Patrick Reynolds, and Lewis NCT. Um, Nita Hawes is a character, and apparently this is a spinoff from a popular series called Philadelphia. I've heard of Philadelphia over the years. It's one I've considered reading, uh, but I have not gotten around to it. And I feel that's a detriment. And it's kind of a shame because I like the art. The art has a nice bleak style to it. It's very dark. Uh, the prevalence of blue is a little weird in places, but, you know, there's value in those washed out effects. But by page three, we have a full page of art with a figure that made me think I was going to love this book. What do you think, Rowan? It's dramatic and beautiful. It's basically a giant 
Cthulian entity uh, that looks like it might have man legs, if man legs are the size of tree trunks. And With wings and tentacles coming out of his stomach. Right. And, and I'd shat myself if I ran into this in a dark alley. Definitely. But the story jumps all over the place. And I think maybe if I had the background from reading Philadelphia, it would not be odd to me. But I did have trouble following it. So if you're a Philadelphia reader, let me know what you think of this. And if it flows better with a background of Philadelphia. If I have time, I may read Philadelphia and then come back to this. Ignore the black helicopters, folks. They get a little loud sometimes. Uh, now, hmm? Since when did we have those? Well, they're not ours. They belong to... <clears throat> we're not supposed to talk about that. I think the official term is the alumni agency. Oh, okay. So, next we go to DC, which has recently been using this DC bullet uh, logo. There's a whole history with the DC logo that I could talk about at some point. Um, I, I just think it's kind of silly, the rebranding. But anyway, they're doing this task force Z, which stands for zombie, and says death was just the beginning. And it features on the front, you know, characters like Red Hood, Man Bat, Bane, you know, others who are presumably dead. And they're being revitalized with the zombie serum. Now, this is a comic that... Uh, is a playoff of Task Force X, a.k.a. Suicide Squad. And... I mean, what do I say about this? They're using the tropes of horror comics, but there's nothing horrific about it. I mean, ostensibly, the things happening, such as the animation of Kirk Langstrom, who was an interesting character in Justice League Dark, and I want to talk about that in just a second here. Um... And then, I'm not sure how we ended up over here, but it's really hard to do horror in superhero comics because superheroes are modern mythology. And when really horrific things wander up from, say, Tartarus, and Apollo has to go beat on them, he doesn't go, oh my god, I'm scared. He goes, I'm a god and it's time to get to work. Mm -hmm. And that's what Superman does and other characters. Now, Batman's a bit of an exception because it depends on where he's being ridden. Batman has two stylistic motifs. There's Batman of the Justice League and then Batman of Gotham, and they're ridden very differently. Batman of Gotham is a man trying to do the right thing who may or may not be completely emotionally broken and still a fragile 10-year-old boy inside. Um, and therefore, you can have horror with Batman of Gotham. Batman of the Justice League outthinks gods. Mm -hmm. So, we, these are the character cast we're working with here. Now, note that a bunch of these characters on the cover here are from Batman family. I mean, there's an intuitive sense the writers had here, clearly, that they needed to work with characters that were maybe a little more uh, uh, attached to the nitty-gritty, to earthy themes, to... to to ideas of horror. And indeed, the very concept of Batman in Gotham is one of horror. This guy dresses up as a figure that people of Gotham have a mythology about, and can, some think he's a supernatural demon, the Batman. And of course, that is the figure of Kirk Langstrom, the man-bat, who attempted to become a literal Batman and became mutated by it. Now, the interesting thing here is that although I think they're attempting to correctly elicit these 
horror vibes, and I think they're making a darn good shot at it, it doesn't really work. Interestingly, though, in Justice League Dark, that Man Bat was part of, they spent a bunch of time with him and showed him as intelligent. There's a mic there. <laughs> I noticed. Do you need to hit it again just to be... You're in our dimension with us, right? Matter. Two pieces of... I know you're in the art department and physics isn't your thing, but two pieces of matter cannot coexist in the same space. It doesn't I, work like that. I, I, I know. All right. So... <laughs> Uh, but in Justice League Dark, they spent time with Man Bat, and they built him up as a character. And when his mind began devolving in Justice League Dark, ironically a Justice League title, but with dark elements, it actually was kind of scary, even though they were not making an effort to do a horror comic there. And that's perhaps part of the problem here. We don't particularly care about these characters. Now, the only character here I had any care about, the only character that was even slightly horrific to me was what was happening to the reanimation of Kirk Langstrom, but that's because of my background of reading him. I do not care one bit what happens to Bane, and most of the time that Jason Todd has shown up in books that I've read, he's just a dick, so I don't really care that much either. So, yeah, I, I kind of think that as a standalone series, this is ill-conceived and doesn't quite work, but then again, DC is just writing comic books to sell to the direct market. So, I mean, they don't have to work for general people. I mean, it's like a giant echo chamber at this point. Yeah. I feel like lots of the comic industry is at this point. Right, which, you know... Or at least the American comic industry. Yeah, the American comic industry. Other nations have different things going on with their distribution and volume. Mm -hmm. Now, the American comic industry is consumed around the world, though, to varying degrees. But I, I found this interesting, and I find it interesting, of course, that we have at least four characters here you could directly attribute from the Batman mythos. And, of course, the Batman mythos is closely connected to ideas of vampirism. I mean, the terror of the Batman is very closely connected to the idea of the vampire. Bat bats are often associated with blood-sucking. You know, if, if you read comics where they... They talk about the mindset of Gothamites. Many of them think he's a vampire. And indeed, there have been things like Blood Rain, where Batman becomes a vampire. And I find all that interesting in part, this connection between vampirism and the Bat family and the use of the Bat family in this attempted horror title, because vampires seem to be a little bit of the de jure this year, because both DC and Marvel have vampires on their mind. Now, I'm going to jump over to Marvel for a second here for a title called Darkhold Blade. Now, Blade is probably known to most people who aren't big comic readers from the movies starring Wesley Snipes. Are they based off of the comics? Sort of. Let me get a quick drink of water here. The, the Blade was introduced as a character in a 1970s series called The Tomb of Dracula. Now, if you had to guess in one word what, why we have monster comics today and the way we have them, what would you guess that word would be? What? If you had to guess why we have monster comics and the way we do today, because, let's back up a little, mm -hmm. monster comics were a staple in the 50s, 40s, mm -hmm. 50s, 
uh, as they were in the pulp age, monsters as a theme and motif. And then when the Comics Authority Code came into existence, because the entire comics industry collectively crapped their pants when Congress, you know, took hearings from Wortham's BS Seduction of the Innocent book, which was based on fake data and all that, um, and, but were appalled by the EC Comics covers and all that. One of the things the new self-governing Comics Code Authority instituted was no supernatural monsters, no vampires, no Frankenstein, no werewolves, none of that. But they came back in the 1970s. And what would you guess brought them back? The riots of monster movies? You would think that, no. But, and, and that may have helped contribute. Although I don't think there was a huge rise in monster movies in the 70s. There certainly were some schlocky ones, though. I mean, the Hammer horror films and things like that. Mm -hmm. I love Hammer horror films, by the way. Um, but if I were to put it in one word, it would be heroin. What? Heroin. Why is it always drugs? It's always heroin, right? Um, when when it's, it's not, it's cocaine. And when it's not that, it's little blue pills. But that's a different issue, folks. We're not talking... This isn't that kind of class. You're going to have to go over to the art department for that kind of stuff. Hey. Bunch of pervs. No, they're... they're they gay. just... They, they download huge digital books of nude women and go, I'm studying the human form. Yeah, right. Um... No, I'm joking, that's legitimate. But what happened was, comics by the 1970s were struggling in sales. You know, we've talked about cyclic uh, environments and sales and all that kind of stuff. But comics were desperate for relevance. I mean, this is the time in which Stan Lee was moving to California, so he could push for uh, better relationships with film studios. DC in the 1970s uh, started seriously having Warner Brothers do some production work. And, of course, by 1977, Superman came out, directed by Richard Donner. So th there was this interest in multimedia, but wider cultural relevance was the real goal. Because if they could get wider cultural relevance, then they could not just be interested in multimedia, but it might actually happen. And I'm not talking about an isolated Hulk TV show and Superman movie. I'm talking about the whole slate, like the CW has of the Arrowverse today, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They wanted this to happen in the 70s. And they thought that because they weren't getting on talk shows, you know, they needed comic book writers on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, which was like the Jimmy Fallon of the day. Oh, okay. uh, thank you. Right. And you know, articles in the newspaper. And so one day what happened was basically a government entity approached Marvel Comics and Stan Lee as editor-in-chief at the time and said, what we think would be great would be if in one of your comics you did a storyline about drugs talking about how bad they were. And Stan Lee went to the Comics Code Authority and said, I need an exception. The Comics Code Authority says no drugs in comics, but obviously the whole purpose of the story is to talk about how bad they are, so you're going to give me an exception, right? And the Comics Code Authority went, no. So Stan Lee went, okay, we just won't, you know, submit this issue for you, and we'll just publish this issue without your code. Now, people collectively lost their crap about this, 
And there's a whole story about how DC actually almost beat them to the punch with an infamous cover of Green Arrow sidekick Speedy shooting up heroin, but they sat on it for fear of pissing off the code, and Marvel beat them to the punch of relevancy. Now, when Marvel did this issue about drugs are bad, okay, it was hugely successful. It sold well. Uh, the, 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 the presidential press praised them for their relevance. They had articles in newspapers. People were talking about it on night sh talk shows. Uh, people were over the moon. And this led the other comic book companies to basically look at the Comics Code Authority and go, we have a problem. You're holding us back now from being relevant. And the Comics Code Authority was in the strange position, of course, of they dictated things to the comic book companies, but they also only existed because the comic book companies gave them money. Mm -hmm. So they backed up and said, okay, this is a problem. They're pissed at us. And our goal is to make things better for kids. And everybody in America is saying that Marvel just did something aligned with our goals only because they ignored us. This is a problem. <laughs> because it wasn't actually about make, protecting kids. It was about the it was just about trying to look like they were protecting kids. Right. And, and protecting this what was already becoming an outdated entity. Uh, it still took much longer for the Comics Code Authority to fully die, but that was kind of the first dig of the grave right there. So when they stepped back, they started not just, they, they revised the code. And they didn't just allow drugs, they did a bunch of other stuff, including saying, let's allow for movie monsters. Let's allow them to do comic books with werewolves and vampires and that kind of stuff. And they probably envisioned something more like what DC did. DC, when this opened up, created a character named that went by the name I Vampire. Or at least that was the title of the books. His actual name was something else. That was DC. That was DC. And he was a sort of anti, kind of anti-hero, really more of a tortured Byronic hero. And his X-Main squeeze was the Queen of the Vampires. And she actually was kind of an anti-hero in a way, too, because vampires probably would have run over the world if she hadn't stopped them. But she wasn't really a good guy either. It is complicated. But meanwhile, over at Marvel, and this is coming back around to Blade, trust me. Meanwhile, over at Marvel, Jack, Lee, uh, Jack uh, Kirby and Stan Lee and all of them were sitting around and... They were trying, they were a company of superheroes, but Stan Lee never saw an opportunity to jump on a popular culture bandwagon he didn't like. Mm -hmm. So he said, we're going to do this thing and we're going to give it to people who aren't the standards here at Marvel, like myself and Jack Kirby. We're going to continue to do superheroes, but we're going to do stuff. And some of this was in black and whites, some of it was color, but one of the titles I came up with was a monthly color called The Tomb of Dracula. And instead of it being centered around a bunch of vampire hunters, it was about Dracula. And he wasn't a nice guy. He was largely a complete horror movie villain mm -hmm. who occasionally had moments of nobility, but never really a nice guy. Oops. Again, matter, two pieces, same space. 
do we need to send you to remedial <laughs> physics classes in order to be an English TA? No, I know how basic matter works. I just talk with my hands. Leave me alone. Talk to your hands to the side. <laughs> For th- you can't see because it's a podcast, but I jokingly smacked her in the head. because yeah. um, It was a joke. It's not abuse. Abuse. Oh, God. I don't need another one of those charges. Um, so the guy who wrote this was Marv Wolfman. Now, Marv Wolfman was doing a lot of work for Marvel in the 70s. Uh, in fact, if you'd been a comics reader, then you probably thought he would have stayed there for the rest of his career. He actually ended up going to DC and doing just incredible things at DC later, thank God. Um, but he, one of the characters he introduced in Tomb of Dracula was a character named Blade, who was born as a half-vampire because his mother, while pregnant, was attacked and infected by a vampire. Now, the Blade we saw in the movies used this same basic character, his basic appearance, his basic personality, his basic origin. Even the character, and in the first Blade movie, the character of Deacon Frost came from the comics. He was actually a vampire that opposed Dracula. But nothing else. All, all the rest of the background of Blade, all the other supporting characters weren't carried over into the movies. So based on it, using him but others largely changed. Now, as movies went on, they sometimes borrowed a few other characters from Blade's uh, backstory or ongoing story, uh, but the stories were largely unique to the movies themselves. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Now, this particular title, getting back to what's published right here, is Darkhold Blade, and the story is entitled The Last Drop. This is written by Daniel Kebblesmith. He's written some stuff for Marvel for the last few years. He's a relatively new writer, but the artist is Federico Sabatini. Now, I've seen a lot of Federico Sabatini's stuff over time. I think it's very uh, polarizing. Some people hate it and see it as cartoony. I actually kind of dig it. I like extreme styles. What do you think, Rowan? I like it. It looks like a mix of uh, the American style of comics and manga almost. Or there's, anime. It feels like there's a definite... Uh, I think more anime than manga influence. Yeah, I think it... You know, manga tends to be very rounded with a lot of use of shade, while anime uses these dramatic front-back differences and angles to Mm -hmm. express motion. I feel it's more anime than manga influenced. My problem with this title is... I know what the Darkhold is. And people who've watched WandaVision know of its existence, even if they don't remember the title of it. But here's the introductory text to let you understand what's happening in this. Born from a prostitute killed by a vampire's bite, Eric Brooks inherited all of a vampire's strengths with none of their weaknesses. Determined to rid the world of the creatures that killed his mother, he became Blade the Daywalker, a ruthless vampire hunter, and most recently, a reluctant member of the Avengers. What? Do you think he had a membership card? Probably not. Probably not. At least that was his story. Until he read from the Darkhold. Now they don't say what the Darkhold is, or why he had it. In an attempt to stop the elder god Cthun from manifesting on Earth in the pages of the sinister book showed him a more twisted path. So let us tell you what's going on by saying a lot of words and not tell you what's going on. Right. And we open, we have this character who's running away. He looks to be a vampire. We're told is Amadeus Cho. Now, if you've read a bunch of Marvel, you know who Amadeus Cho is. He was kind of the new Hulk for a long time. They had a different Hulk? There, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, but none of that's here. It, it's, they want to do 
a new universe, and presumably this is a new universe because this is not a crossover with a bunch of existing titles. So this isn't happening to all the Marvel titles at once. So this is some sort of splinter universe. And it's a horror world, but they want to use all these characters like Amadeus Cho, Wilson Fisk comes up in a minute, aka the Kingpin, and so on and so forth. But they don't want to deal with superheroes or the presence of them. They don't want to... So conveniently, they say, oh, and by the way, a bunch of superheroes just lost their abilities and became normal people or vampires. So they don't have to deal with somebody like, say, uh, Photon, or also sometimes known as Captain Marvel, Monica oh. Rambeau, okay. who in one Black Panther story that featured uh, Blade just flew around emitting sunlight, killing all the vampires. Yeah, because she could just do that. Right. So... The whole thing seems awkwardly contrived. Like they're trying to cherry pick what they want. Right. And this is impossible to pick up and read as a non-casual comic book reader. Uh, I don't read all the Marvel or DC stuff. I'll be honest, I like some superhero stuff, but I very much cherry pick it. Uh, and so, as somebody not willing to read all the crap that comes out every month, uh, just because it has superheroes in it, even though I know enough to follow this, I still found it jarring at times. So this is more echo chamber for the direct market. Of course. So, I mean, I can't advertise this to most people, and it doesn't feel particularly horrific. Uh, again, it's interesting how they're trying to create an actual horror environment by essentially negating the presence of superheroes, but still just having characters with spangly costumes kind of negates the vibe. Now, they try to modify it here by using characters like Silver Sable, Prowler, Citizen Five, and, you know, making their outfits really dirty and maybe tattery to show how horrific it is. But you're still inserting ridiculously garbed, superhero-esque characters in a horror thing. And it doesn't work. Oh, and they call themselves... The Last Avengers. That's going to be a movie title soon. Yeah, really. Now, let's move from that back to DC for a second for a limited series that's going to run for the next year. And I'm willing to give it a bit of a benefit of the doubt because it's written by James Tinian IV. Now, James Tinian IV did an amazing run on Justice League. He understands superheroes. He understands characters. And I think this is a very going to be a very challenging write for him because it's called DC versus Vampires. And on the cover, we have Batman and Green Arrow as they're fight encircled by a horde of vampires and are trying to fight them and stab them. And this goes directly into what I just said, something that didn't work, which is combining the height of superheroes, the Justice League, people that can move planets with vampires, as Andrew Bennett, I Vampire, tries to get into the Hall of Justice and bring news of this vampire attack. Now, as he goes through all this backstory and it's shared, and the art is beautiful in my opinion, and it really works, and after this attempted warning is given where we find out that essentially the big villains that oppose the Justice League uh, have already been turned into vampires or murdered. 
and Lex Luthor attempts to give Andrew Bennett some serum to help save the world, that the person who's been listening to all this at the Hall of, Hall of Justice is Hall Jordan Green Lantern, who then unceremoniously kills him and kills the sidekick, Zan, who attempts to warn others because Hall Jordan's already been turned into a vampire and is collaborating and bypassing the weakness to sunlight by having his ring filter out the dangerous parts of sunlight to vampires from him. Huh. So this is an interesting take. Now, and it's interesting in part because we have this uh, attempt to bridge two worlds. So we have the horror elements of DC, and DC has done horror, but traditionally by keeping it completely separate from their superhero stuff. It operates kind of in a within the DC universe, but in different pockets, in different areas, isolated. And Bennett, of course, is doing the thing that we as comic book readers would do. Okay, you have vampires who are dangerous to normal people, but they can't stand up against Superman and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman, right? So Andrew Bennett goes to call in the big dogs. Only to find out that at least one of the big dogs has already been turned and is now a complete evil sociopath. But it's Hall Jordan, so that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> but the utter cruelty is kind of shocking as he literally creates out from his power ring a giant vice and blender and just blends a human, or, well, a humanoid alien, up and drinks him. That is horrifying. A character which, by the way, in my generation, was a character they added to the Super Friends, the Justice League TV show when I was a kid, as a character for us to relate to. So James Tinney and the Fourth has just put in a blender the point-of-view character for his readers as children and having it drunk. That's a statement. Knife, heart, stab. Now, I do not care about the Wonder Twins. And even I kind of went, ooh. He went for blood with that one. So, And James Tinian is a good writer. So I'm willing to give it the I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance, mm -hmm. you know, even though it is everything that I normally think isn't going to work. But that's, of course, what great writers do. They take things that shouldn't work and make them work. Mm -hmm. So the next title I want to talk about is not from any big publisher. It is from a side publisher that's not as well known. And it's TKO. We're long past the days now, folks, when... The most expensive printing presses can only be used by DC and Marvel, where the only good artists work for DC or Marvel. There's lots of other companies out there right now, and I think TKO is a pretty good one. And they've put out this month Tales of Terror. This is my single favorite of the month, I, I, just to be blunt, because it's an anthology. And it fits a lot of traditional horror tales. There's no bigger mythology. You don't have to know the backstory of I, Vampire through all this other stuff. Um, you don't have to know what the Darkhold is and Wilson Fisk. and No, you just pick this up and read it and just enjoy the stories or not. I mean, you can come up with your own opinions on each story. And I also love that they're short stories because you get to read them. And if you don't like one, you might like the next one. And I found them all to be at least good, and several of them very good. So this is my recommendation. If you're going to pick up a comic this month and you want to do something horror, pick up TKO Presents Tales of Terror. 
Uh, if you're a DC fan and you're interested, you might also want to try DC versus Vampires. But I do have one more and hold that I want to mention. It's from Boom Studios, and it's also being written by James Tinney in the fourth. Because the man just does not know when to stop writing. He just writes and writes and writes. And it, it's something else interesting. It is also, like the one from Philadelphia, a spinoff. It's set in the world of Something is Killing the Children, which I also have not read. And it appears to be a story of these vampire clans that act as monster hunters. Maybe with this weird spirit owl that accompanies him. He's so cute. It's strange, but, and normally, I, I'll be honest, I read this and I thought if this wasn't James Tinney in the fourth, I would have dumped it. Oh, that's not good. Because I just can't follow the story. But but since it is James Tinian, I'm thinking maybe I should back up and read Something is Killing the Children. Yeah. So with some reservations, I'm going to say that House of Slaughter from Boom Studios... And Nita Hawes' uh, Nightmare Blog might, might both be good, but you might need to read Philadelphia and Something is Killing the Children first, respectively from Boom and Image. So a little bit of warning there, more echo chamber, direct market stuff. I think they both could have done a better job at making them standalone. I would like to see more standalone works. Mm -hmm. um, but I understand that's probably not a big driver for them. Because, frankly, that is the nature of the direct market now. People are so hardcore that either they don't pick up the material or they're willing to go pick up the back material. And honestly, at this point, because DC and Marvel have picked up a reputation of you've had to read 40 years of comics to know what's going on in the newer ones, I think it'd be harder to pick up readers. Yeah. And, and this is not DC and Marvel. You know, it's Boom and um, Image. And to be fair, they're only kind of asking you to pick up and read one previous series, not 80 series. <laughs> so that's more manageable. Right. So what did you think, Rowan? Were there any that jumped out at you and you went, oh, I'd want to read that? Not particularly. Wow, that's harsh. But they were interesting to hear about. Okay. Any of the arts jump out at you? They're all amazing. All amazing. Especially uh, the one from Slaughterhouse. Yes, yes, House of Slaughter. I really do dig the art on here. Mm -hmm. I love the way they drew the deer. Yeah, the there's a deer color. in the opening pages, and, I mean, you almost feel like you can feel the texture of the fur. Uh-huh. I do have one complaint about some of these new titles. Now, I purchase these digitally. Um, often on new titles, especially digital ones, they don't have real credits pages at the front anymore. You know, sometimes they're later on in it, sometimes not at all. And, okay, it's nice that they put names like Tinian, who I wouldn't know as the writer if I didn't recognize the name, Bromble, Deladera, Sheehan, Morito up there. But, yeah, I'm the person, I want to know who the colorist is. I want to know who the penciler is. I even want to know who the inker is. Yes, the inker matters. Yes, colorists matter. And I even want to know who the letterer is. Because I want to go see Not, if they have social media so I can look at their standalone art. Right. And and I'm interested. And I like watching the evolution of these people. So that's one thing you comic book companies could do better on is credit yo damn people. Just just give credits. And they're digital comics. You're not paying for pages. Hell, give me a photo and bio of each one of them. Mm -hmm. Promote your creators. All right. So... In the next couple of days, we'll come back and continue our journey through Black Panther. 
And we'll have another midweek episode, which might be end of the week. I don't know. We'll just do it when we do it, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, I want to remind you, feel free to contact me on Twitter, Rogan Hamby, R-O-G-A-N-H-A-M-B-Y, on Twitter. Uh, I love questions. I'd love to do a question class session at some point. If people have uh, recommendations or, you know, like, hey, I want an episode on the history of Belgian comics in the 1960s. I'm totally down for that. Uh, I have more topics than I have time for. I mean, heck, I want to do. I want to talk about the history of shoujo manga in the 1970s, which I think would mm. be really fascinating to go over. Uh, I want to do an episode specific to Rumiko Takahashi. I've been reading some Europe, European uh, published comics recently, like Mad, that have given me a dozen ideas. Mm -hmm. So we got class sessions for years and years to come. I hope you're here with us. If not, well, you're probably a bad person. All right. So until next one, bye. <laughs>